want to play a little game with you. So this is class participation time. So get ready. This is a little game I like to call good, bad, or it depends. Good, bad, or it depends, okay? So if you think it's good, you raise your hand. If you think it's bad, when I call on you, uh, say bad, then you raise your hand for that. Or if you think it depends, then you wait to raise your hand for that. You ready to play? Everybody ready? Okay, here we go. Uh, let's see. Uh, let's start with, um, oh, let's start with drinking alcohol. Drinking alcohol, it's good. Sure, okay, a few of you are courageous enough to say, yeah, drinking alcohol is good. Drinking alcohol is bad. All right, others think it's bad. You know, there's probably stories behind both why we would pick. Now, how about this? Uh, it depends. Okay, all right, all right, yeah. There's probably stories behind why it depends, too. I get it, though. I get it. Yeah, I get it. Okay, let's see. Lying. Lying, Lying is good. Nobody? Okay, I'm with you on that. Lying is bad. Okay, a lot of people say lying is bad. Well, it, it depends. A couple of people say it depends. Okay, um, you may recall the name Meep Geis. Meep Geis. Anybody? No, but you'll remember the name Anne Frank. Remember Anne Frank in World War II? Meep Geis was the woman that hid her out in her attic. And when the Nazis came by and said, you know, do you got anybody you hide out here? She lied. Bad? Or good? How about this one? Outbursts of anger. Outbursts of anger. Good! Outbursts of anger. Bad! Okay. Outbursts of anger. Well, it depends. <laughs> I know why you guys are raising your hands on it depends. Because when I get mad, I like to express it. And sometimes you got to do it with outbursts of anger. Well, you may remember Jesus had an outburst of anger. Remember that when he walked into the temple and he, you know, turned over the tables and uh, you're making my temple, my, the Lord's house into a, a den of robbers. Remember that? That was, a, that was an outburst of anger. Righteous anger. All right, one more. One more, then we'll move on. Uh, rated R movies. Rated R movies. Good. No good on rated R movies. Rated R movies. Bad. Oh, yeah. You know, rated R. Rated R movies, it depends. Yeah, there's some rated R movies that maybe some of us would say, well, I mean, I realize they're rated R, but I mean, you know, is whatever. It's a good history or whatever the case may be. What is good? What is bad? You know, in our day and age, that, that line is pretty blurry. My mom... When she was a teenager, that would be like the 1950s, it seemed like good and bad were pretty clear. 
Matter of fact, there's a line that my mom was given when she was a teenager from her mom that she has quoted. She, she used to say when she was a teenager in high school, she used to say, I don't smoke and I don't chew and I don't go with boys who do. Oh, gone are the days, aren't they? Oh, it's just so sweet. You know, we clearly just have such a sweet understanding of what's good and what's bad. We can go back further further than, than my mom, of course, in her teenage years. Um, well, let's go all the way back to Jesus. Remember, there was a guy, he was a ruler, actually. He comes running up to Jesus because he wants his attention, and he says, good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Remember that question? And, and Jesus doesn't answer what to do to inherit eternal life. Jesus starts by saying, why do you call me good? There is no one good but God alone. Well, if that is from the mouth of Jesus, why even try to be good? Why even do anything or try to be good at all when there's no one good but God alone? Well, Peter, one of the followers of Jesus, you may recall in 1 Peter uh, 1.16, I believe it is, he does say, be holy, for God is holy. We could maybe say, be good, because God is good. And quite honestly, in our experience, to be good is good, <laughs> isn't it? I mean, we know good from bad. At least we could say here pretty much what's good, what's bad. And, and even when we say it depends means there's sometimes that it's good and sometimes that it's bad. So how can we be sure to stay in that which is good and not go toward that which is bad. Is there a way to avoid drifting from the good? Is there a way to be good in alignment with God, who alone ultimately is good? Well, we're in this series entitled Loving Fearlessly, and it would only seem appropriate that if we are to love fearlessly, we ought to love in a good way. We are working through 2 John and 3 John, and next week we're going to touch on 1 John a little bit. But uh, we are today coming to the end of 3 John. 3 John is a, a little letter that the Apostle John wrote to this guy named Gaius. And, uh, and in that letter, uh, he concludes the letter by giving Gaius tools that he could use in order to stay in the good and stay away from the bad or stay away from that which is evil. And in looking at the end of 3 John, we can see those tools that, that John gave to Gaius and say, well, okay, I think we could probably apply that to our lives as well. And so the first tool that we're going to see on how to stay in the good is that we must mimic the good. You see good out there, we mimic it. Go with me to 3 John. If you have a Bible handy, you can go to your Bibles. Otherwise, um, you'll see it up here on the screen with us. We are now at verse 11, and we're going to finish up this letter today. Uh, 3 John, verse 11. John writes, Beloved, that's in the singular, so he's specifically writing to Gaius. Do not imitate what is evil. Now, that word evil in the original language is kakos. When uh, your kids were little, you might have said, oh, don't touch that. It's caca. 
Yeah, that's where that comes from. Actually, it's a Greek word. Kakos means bad or harmful or damaging or, as they translate it here, evil. Do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. That word imitate there is the Greek word mimeomai. Mimeomai, it's where we get the English word mimic. Don't, uh, don't mimic what's bad, but mimic what's good. Another English word that we get from that is mime. Don't mime what's bad, but mime what's good. You ever see a mime? Mimes, honestly, they freak me out a little bit. Um, you know, they got the white face, they never talk, they just sort of, you know, act. And one of the things that a mime does is uh, somebody will just be, you know, talking or walking or, or doing something, and they'll just do exactly what they're doing right down to the same facial expressions, you know, and then they look around, they freeze, and they do whatever they're doing, and they, they mimic or they mime what they're doing. That's, even though it's a little freaky, it gives us a, a picture, at least, of what John is writing here. He's writing, Beloved, do not mimic or mime that which is evil, but what is good. Now, by virtue of that opening sentence in 3 John 11, uh, we see that either good or evil is observable. There's, there's clear, there, we're not just talking about a, a, an evil heart or a good heart. We're talking about actions. We're talking about the way which people behave. And John just got done writing about a guy who Pastor Brian talked about last week, who was actually uh, demonstrating what evil is. His name was Diotrephes. If you were with us last week, you may have recalled him. Uh, let's go back and review who this guy is all about. Go up to verse 9. He writes, I, write so I wrote something to the church, but Diotrephes, who loves to be first among them. That means he loves to, you know, he walks into the room and he thinks that he's kind of the best person in the room. Uh, another way of identifying this is called narcissism, you know, where he's kind of the king, you know, and as he's, wherever, whatever group he's in, he just kind of thinks he's first among everybody. And he doesn't accept what we say. For this reason, I, if I come, I will call attention, get this, to his deeds. These things are observable, which he does, unjustly accusing us with wicked words, and not satisfied with this, he himself does not receive the brethren either, and he forbids those who desire to do so and puts them out of the church. John was saying, listen, when if I come, I'm going to point out Diotrephes' uh, deeds, <laughs> the observable wrongs. He's a narcissist. He has wicked words. He offers false accusations. He, he mistreats people. And John calls it out. That is kakos. That is bad. That's harmful. It's damaging. It is downright evil. And then John will point to a guy who would demonstrate that, which is good. It's a guy we're going to meet in just a minute here. His name is Demetrius. And his deeds are good because they line up with God's will. They line up with God's truth. They line up with God's word. Now, the reality is that every single one of us has both in us. We have that which is good and that which is kakos. <laughs> like, there's things about us that maybe people would say, yeah, that, that's good about you. Um, you know, uh, someone might be kind, and yet, yeah, but they are a bit controlling, you know, or, 
or someone, maybe a servant. Boy, that person, they're just, they're in, they help out, they're servants. But they gossip or they're keeper of secrets. Hmm, yeah. Or, or you know, whatever. so funny. They're just so funny. <laughs> but you get to know them and they're a he or she is a little manipulative, you know. We all tend to have good and cacos, bad, evil, as a part of who we are. But if we want to kind of move away from the cacos and move more toward the good, then see the good in others and mimic that. Like, you know, somebody that you might know has such a, a skill at loving people in tangible ways. And you look at them and you say, I want more of that in my life. And Study, figure out, well, what is it about them that they can do that so well? And then copy it. <laughs> or you ever notice how, how much joy? I mean, how can somebody be, have that kind of joy in their life? Well, figure it out and then mimic it. <laughs> they, they, they have joy in their life because they're doing something that maybe I'm not doing. Or peace. Or patience or kindness, or goodness, or gentleness, or faithfulness, or self you, you name it. It's one thing to use the words. You know what? I, wanna, I, want, I want to grow in my patience. You know, I just tend to not have a lot of patience. I want to grow. In the, it's one thing to just call it what it is. But these kinds of things are better caught than taught. So look at it. Who's a person that you know that maybe has more patience? And then Mimic the good in them. And you'll start seeing results. Not in a formulaic way, you know, if you do this, A, you'll definitely get B. But wisdom would tell us that when you do these things, you can expect some normal outcomes that would naturally happen. And the normal outcome of mimicking the good is that we will see God. Get that. We'll actually see God. Look at verse 11 again. Beloved, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. The one who does good is of God, and the one who does evil has not seen God. Now, it's interesting. You talk about the one who does good is of God. What would be the opposite of being of God? It would be of uh, not being of God. But that's not what John writes here. John is talking about the one who does evil. I think he's referring back to Diotrephes. He doesn't say Diotrephes is not of God, as if he's not a Christian. No, probably is a Christian. But what he's saying is that you can't see God in Diotrephes' life. It just doesn't show up. If you and I don't actively pursue that which is good, we may be Christians, but you're not going to see God through us, through our lives. Jesus said in John 10.10, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come, Jesus said, that, I, that you might have life, that they may have life and have it abundantly. If we imitate that which is evil, kakos, if we imitate that, the thief will come. It'll, it'll destroy, it'll steal, it'll kill, and it will will have zero chance of seeing God in, in your life or in my life. The abundant life that Jesus offers is when we see him actively working in our lives, where we want to pursue that which is good. 
And then when you pursue that, which is good, you find yourself going, oh, man, you know what, what, what that, what happened right there is unexplainable apart from God. You know, it might be um, a, a broken relationship is healed as you keep pursuing that which is good in that relationship. Or it just seems like God provides for our needs when we need it. You know, we're pursuing him. We're seeking first his kingdom and his righteousness. And, and he just seems to give the, these things to us. We can see it. Or someone God will bring into our life and, you know, they just seem to say the right word at the right time. And it's like, it was like God, God gave them to us in that moment. And we know it because as we pursue that which is good, we can see it. It's true. If we mimic the good, we will see God. As a matter of fact, Jesus said it more clearly than ever, I think, in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 8. Remember what Matthew chapter 5 verse 8 says. It says this, Blessed are the pure in heart. That would be those who pursue the good. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Matthew 5, 8. So mimic the good. And when we see it and we spot it and we say, yep, that's what I'm looking at, be sure that it truly is good. Because sometimes you can see something, oh, that's good, but then it turns out maybe not so good. So the second thing, the second tool to use is that we must confirm the good. Confirm it. Notice what John writes in verse 12. Demetrius, there's the guy I said we'd meet. <laughs> there he is. Demetrius has received a good testimony from everyone. And from the truth itself. And we had our testimony, and you know that our testimony is true. Now, he gives three confirmations about this guy named Demetrius. The first one is right there at the beginning. Demetrius has received a good testimony from everyone. He's got a good reputation with everybody that knows him. He is a guy that promotes that which is good. And the second testimony, the second confirmation is right there in the middle. And he's got a good testimony from the truth itself. This is a guy who is a lover of the truth. He's a pursuer of the truth. He wants to know the truth. He wants to live in the truth, and we can see it in him. Matter of fact, the third testimony there, and we had our testimony, and you know that our testimony is true. We are leaders, the Apostle John, the leaders in the church, and hey, we can tell you that this also is true about him. You can trust our testimony. Now, I was questioning as I was going through this, why, why does John go through great lengths to try and convince Gaius that Demetrius is a good guy? I think there's two reasons. First of all, Demetrius was probably the carrier of John's letter to Gaius. He's probably the guy that brought the letter to Gaius, and Gaius doesn't really know Demetrius, and so John's saying, listen, I know you don't know him, but I just want to confirm to you that he's a good guy. He's a guy in the truth. He's, he's a guy that is a pursuer of the truth. You can trust him. So he starts out by saying, you, you don't know him, but I want you to just have my reference for him. He's a good guy. The second reason might be a little bit deeper than that, and that is found in Demetrius' name. Demetrius. Now, that's not a Jewish name. That's a Gentile name. Uh, Demetrius, he... Uh, his name actually means belonging to Demeter. And Demeter was a goddess of that day. Uh, she was a Greek goddess, and, uh, and she was, uh, her temple was in Athens, and she was the goddess of life and the sustainer of life, Demeter. 
And so the people who really worshipped Demeter, uh, they, were, they were a people who had secret rites and secret ways to worship. And so worshippers of Demeter in the culture in general were suspicious. And clearly, a guy with the name Demetrius, if you heard it in that day, you'd be like, this guy is of the goddess Demeter. And I don't know that I can trust him. He's kind of like a secret society guy. And I'm not sure I can trust that. Um, and so Paul, John is trying to say, listen, listen, Demetrius may have grown up in a family that probably worshipped a pagan god. This pagan god, Demeter, so much so that they named their son after her. But I want you to know that now in his life, he represents that which is good. And I just pull from that, you know, nobody is beyond God's gracious work in their lives. No one is beyond God doing something where they take a person like Demetrius, who was probably steeped in that which is bad, and bring him to a place where everybody can testify, this is a good, good guy. Now, somebody here might be thinking, I, I can't be an example of good. I can't be an example of good because I'm so, so bad. Or, you know, if you really knew me, you'd never really want to put me up as someone worthy to be called good. Well, Jesus said, ultimately, no one is good but God alone. Yet, God wants to create in us good that might shine through. God wants to gently repair us, gently grow us, gently make us whole. And if we stay humble and like Demetrius, stay in the truth, God is going to grow us to be people that can be examples of that which is good. Because the Apostle Paul even said it in Philippians 1.6. He said, He who began a good work in you will complete it or will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. He wants to keep creating the good that he has started in each and every one of our lives. And when we allow him to do it, the, the, the result of that will be we will make an impact for Christ. We will be able to be used of Christ to make an impact for him in our world. That's why, again, in verse 12, Demetrius is making an impact. Everybody who knows him knows he's a good guy. He's, he's of the good. He is a guy that promotes the truth. And, and the leaders, starting with John and, and all around him, say, yep, this guy is a good guy. Oh, a little while ago, I read a novel. I am not a novel reader. I love reading novels. I just feel like I don't have time or I don't make the time to read novels. You know, it's like one of those things where you put it by your bed stand, and by the time you hit, hit the bed, it's like five minutes into reading, you're sleeping. You, you know what I'm talking about? But I can't get through novels, so I don't really pick them up that much. But this novel was recommended to me, and, uh, and I, I, it was one of those where you just can't put it down. It's called 438 Days. Have you heard of it? Here's a book cover, the book cover. Now, you probably can't read the subtitle, but the subtitle is An Extraordinary True Story of Survival at Sea. True story, this guy, his name is Salvador Alvarenga. Salvador Alvarenga uh, lived for 438 days adrift across the Pacific Ocean. Longest survival 
story out there that I know of. 25-foot fishing boat. He was a fisherman. Uh, he was uh, in Mexico, and he was on the Baja of California, you know, that peninsula there, and uh, he was on a 25-foot fishing vessel with his shipmate. His guy's name was Cordova, and, uh, and they were 100 miles offshore uh, fishing for sharks, and they were catching sharks and bringing them in the boat and blah, 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 and, uh, and lo and behold, off in the horizon, they see a storm coming in really fast, and um, they're kind of caught between, well, we want, you know, we got to catch the fish because this is how we make our living. But, you know, there's a storm coming, and what do we do? What do we do? And they finally, like too late, decided we got to get in. So they start going in, and as they're going in, you know, the, the storm, stormy seas are raging, and, and, uh, and they are doing all they can. They realize we got to start, like, getting stuff out of the boat or we're going to tip. So they're throwing their sharks out. They're throwing everything out. And if I remember correctly... They threw the anchor out, too, and uh, they get to, like, the place where they can see the mountains of the Baja of California, and, uh, and the engine dies, and they're stuck. And the storm takes over and basically pushes them back out to sea, back out into the Pacific Ocean, and, uh, and they, they end up adrift for 430. 38 days until they finally reach the Marshall Islands over near the Philippines, I believe they are. Uh, crazy story of survival. And I thought to myself, boy, if they wouldn't have thrown that anchor over, uh, maybe they could have dropped that anchor and waited out the storm and then someone could have rescued them. Um, when we lived in Arizona, Phoenix area, um, we, Jill and I, and our two oldest kids, when they were little, we went to San Diego for a vacation. And uh, my brother at the time was was stationed there. He was in the Marines. And uh, and I don't know if you've ever seen the, the, the huge battleships, but they were like all over the place. And it was really, really cool. We got up close to a, an aircraft carrier. You ever see an aircraft carrier up close? They are massive. Here's a photograph of one. Not my photograph. I just found this on Google. But um, they are just this massive, massive ship. And uh, if you look underneath the hull there, you see the two anchors that are hanging off on the bottom. I got a close-up picture of one of those anchors. Again, not my picture, but um, a picture of one of these anchors. Get this. That anchor on that ship is 60,000 pounds. That's a lot of weight. And the chain that connects the anchor to the ship, another 65,000 pounds just in the chain. And the, uh, each link of the chain is 365 pounds. Now, Gene, you used to work on an aircraft carrier. Can you confirm my, not that you have to, I'm putting you on the spot all of a sudden. As I'm telling the story, I always think there's people out here that are going to check my, my sources. Am I okay, Gene? Okay, thank you, thank you. He was, a, I believe, a captain on an aircraft carrier during Vietnam, which is incredible. Well, anyway, these, these anchors are humongous to hold down this massive, massive ship. And anchors are there to keep boats or ships where they're supposed to be. And I think we all need anchors in our life. People like Demetrius, you know, who is in a sense like a, a 60,000-pound anchor that John had sent to Gaius. Guy was solid. He was, he was worthy of praise. And to know him would be to know someone who is good 
and has made a commitment uh, to make a difference for Christ, make an impact for Christ. And God gives us people like this in our lives where we can link ourselves to them so that we don't drift away from that which is good. So we don't drift away from the one who truly is good. These are words of wisdom from God. And yet I have to give a bit of a caution when I say that. Because people are people. They're not Jesus. And people will let you down. Good people, people who God uses in our lives, have a tendency to then do things that we would say, okay, that was not good. And this past week, I had one of those experiences that uh, I hope to never have again. Um, I, every place I've been in my life, starting in college, even before college, and into college, and then in seminary in Illinois, and now that I'm up here, I always try to find a mentor, somebody who has gone before me, somebody who I can turn to for wisdom, somebody who I can have a relationship with, somebody who I can learn from. And when I came here, I hooked up with uh, Pastor Bill Lentz at Christ the Rock. And uh, we've been friends for about 10 years now, and uh, he is a mentor of mine. And uh, I would spend, I'd say about six times a year, we'd have face-to-face time with one another. We would, we would, you know, just talk about ministry. He's big, big old church over in Appleton, and he's just a godly guy, loves the Lord, just doing amazing stuff. And, um, and there's so much good that he has invested into my life and things that I could see. But his last act was very bad. Because this past Monday, just this past Monday, Pastor Bill Lentz took his own life. And honestly, I cannot make sense of it. All week long, I just am like, this is not the Bill I know. What happened? And... Candidly, I've been in shock, and I know others who know him, even on our staff and others in this church, uh, have been in shock. And uh, today's the funeral, which I'll be going to this afternoon. And, you know, I just, I just think, I don't know what influenced him, but that last act was cacos. <laughs> that last act was not good. And yet, the last 10 years have been very good. And the things that I've learned from him over the years has been very good. And just because he did what's not good, cacos, bad, in the end, it doesn't nullify the good example that I had for all those years. When we see good in people, Just because they do something bad, don't throw away the good with the bad. Hold on to the good and don't let the bad nullify it. Well, finally, if we're going to stay in what is good, not only do we mimic it, not only do we confirm it, but third, we need to pursue it. We need to go after it. I love how John says, I'm going to pursue that which is good in the next two verses. Look at verse 13. 
said, I had many things to write to you, but I'm not willing to write them to you with pen and ink, but I hope to see you shortly, and we'll speak face to face. It wouldn't be bad to get a letter from the Apostle John, would it? (laughs) Can you imagine if you were Gaius, like, you got a letter from the Apostle John? Pretty awesome. But you know what would be better than that? Seeing him face to face. (laughs) Little tidbit of wisdom. Never forfeit the good for something that is, well, almost as good. (laughs) You know, if John were writing this today, he'd probably write something like, I've got many things that I could Facebook you on. (laughs) I got many things that I could just shoot you a quick text on. I got many things that, you know what, I'll just write you an email. We don't need to talk. But it's so much better if we see each other and we speak face to face. God has made us to have face to face time with one another. So John would say, so I'm going to pursue that. I'm going to put my energies toward that. Invest our energies in that which is good. And for John, it was good to invest in friendships. Look at verse 15, the final verse. He says, peace to you. The friends greet you. Greet the friends by name. John isn't writing to everybody. He's writing to his friends. Christian friendship is so important. And when I talk about Christian friendship, I'm not talking about, well, yeah, we go to the same church together. Christian friendship, the kind that Jesus wants us to have, I am convinced, is that where we go below the surface with one another. We talk about the deeper things in life. We share life at a deeper level where it's rich and deep and it's full of laughter and, yes, it's full of tears as well. And the result of that is you and I then will experience love. Love. Where we truly can love each other fearlessly. I mean, these three distinct greetings, I think, just pull out this loving friendships that God wants us to have. Notice the first one. It's, peace be to you. Real friends bless one another. John is giving a blessing to Gaius. And real friends bless one another. They are givers of God's peace to each other. The second greeting is, the friends greet you. John's saying, listen, I'm not just here all by myself. I know I'm the one writing the letter. It's not just me, though. I want you to know I've got a bunch of friends around me, and, uh, and we together have a heart for you. And we want you to know we've got a heart for you. We want your very best. Yeah, good friends. They have one heart. And finally, the third greeting is greet the friends by name. Not everybody there. Gaius is a friend of mine. Matter of fact, I, Diotrephes, he's not really a friend. He's kind of mean, actually. Uh, critical, you know. He's stabbing me in the back. He's a gossiper. He's two-faced. Uh, whatever. But uh, greet the friends there by name. You know how we can identify who a true friend is? Just quickly as I close, I want to give you five, five uh, ways in which you know you got a true friend. The first one is this. A true friend we don't have to impress. (laughs) A true friend just takes us for who we are, you know, and and, uh, we can just be ourselves around them. We don't have to prove anything to them. 
Secondly, true friends allow us to make mistakes. Or even go further than that, true friends know that we sometimes decide to make mistakes or wrong choices. But they don't condemn us. They forgive us. And they help restore us. Third, a true friend is loyal. You know that they have your back. You know that they have your back. Third, or uh, fourth, a true friend is in tune with our lives. They know what's going on in our lives. We know what's going on in their lives. And they check in, and, and we check in with them. And finally, a true friend celebrates the good. They want our very best. And when they see it, they celebrate it with us. And they invest in us to help bring out the very best. Yeah, pursue true friendships, real good friendships. And when we do, you and I will experience love, fearless love. Can you feel it at the end of this letter? Can you feel the tone? We're talking about what is good. What is good? And God wants for us what is good. And when you see, when you and I see good, pursue it. When you and I see good, confirm it. When you and I see good, mimic it. And let's face it, it's good to be good.